Welcome back to The Popcorn Isn't Real, starring me, Torvald, my brother, Leif Eric. Hello. Happy to have you here. So today, we're going to be talking about Predator. Directed by John McTiernan. 1987 horror slasher. Do you, is it a slasher? I think it's a slasher. Uh, sure, whatever. I mean, it's the same basic formula. I mean, I think Predator was actually a really cool idea because it is a slasher, but it's not a slasher where they're killing, like, defenseless teens, right? Like, the slasher in this movie is killing, like, strong, powerful, manly right. spec ops soldiers. Right. <laughs> I think that was a really cool way to, like, shake up the formula, right? <laughs> like, yeah. John McTiernan has said that, to him, they were following the basic formula of King Kong. Right. Which is that a group of people go on to a strange place and get attacked by and monsters. get overwhelmed, basically, and need to Which, run. like, if you've seen the old black and white King Kong, most people wouldn't think that island sequence where they're getting attacked by, you know, random dinosaurs and stuff and things uh, wouldn't see that and think, oh, yeah, just like Predator. No. Nope. <laughs> it's interesting that that's where he feels like he got the inspiration. Well, yeah. But he also <laughs> I mean, wasn't I, the I writer, that. and he has said that the, the writer and the producers uh, were trying to just make it, like, uh, alien versus commandos, which is exactly what it is. That is exactly <laughs> what it is. Yeah. Well, I mean, except the predator, he's not like alien, right? Like he he's, is very different, and they wanted to make different him different. From alien, and yeah, very purposeful. I think. I feel like I grew up, and predator popularity was huge when I was in like elementary school. The monster, the predator, had only had two movies, <laughs> right? Like, yeah. There was Alien versus Predator in 2004. I think the popularity is, is just a testament to how cool the Predator himself is. Not just killing, but hunting down trained killers and he's killing them. <laughs> it's really cool. It's a fun idea. Yeah. Like he could stand there with Arnold Schwarzenegger and make Arnold Schwarzenegger look like a little baby. <laughs> right. The actor they got to play him was seven Huge. foot two. <laughs> and like a giant, <laughs> right. like a full foot taller than Schwarzenegger, almost. Well, as for the cast members, I think it's cool. Hawkins, the guy with glasses, he was yep. played by Shane Black. Shane Black, a, he's a screenwriter. <laughs> he wrote, yeah, Lethal he's Weapon also a director. He wrote and directed Iron Man Three, Kiss Kiss Bang Bang, and The yep. Predator, the newest Predator movie. Right at, yep. at the time of this recording, there's a rumor that they brought him in as an actor because they wanted him to do a rewrite on the script. John McTiernan has said that he cast Shane Black in that role because he wanted to have a writer on set. Is that something they do in Hollywood? Like they trick writers into acting in their movies and then you're like, oh, what's this? A script right in front of you? <laughs> it would be a shame if you happened to rewrite it. What <laughs> like, do they think? Writers just compulsively do what they do? <laughs> I mean, I don't know that it's very common to cast writers as actors in general, but it is very common to try to trick writers into writing things for free. All right, yeah, that's you got you you got a point. <laughs> <laughs> that's what everybody wants you to do. <laughs> we can't confirm or deny that rumor, I guess. But uh, Shane Black, interesting. I guy. can confirm. Oh, you mean about Shane Black? <laughs> <laughs> Jesse, the body Ventura, played Blaine, the big, tough, manly man. Uh, he right. was a wrestler and went on to be the governor of Minnesota. Sonny Landham played Billy. So this I thought was really interesting. He was apparently required like in his contract to have like a big bodyguard at all times. Yeah. And this wasn't for his safety, but no. due to the fact that he was reportedly so unbelievably dangerous and volatile that they needed to contractually yeah. protect his co-workers from him. Right. Yeah. The bodyguard <laughs> like, was to protect <laughs> other people from him, which sounds like something that like people would just like lie about at school right. like my hands are registered exactly. as deadly weapons kind of thing <laughs> yes <laughs> i thought sonny was by far the coolest character in the movie yeah, uh, yeah or like Bill, billy is his billy, character yeah, name billy. in the movie billy is the coolest character in the movie but like knowing that that he had to have a bodyguard makes him like even cooler mm -hmm. it's like whoa this guy like he was he was a literal bomb waiting to explode like, <laughs> they needed that bodyguard there to tackle anyone who stepped in his path just to save them from sonny's wrath <laughs> Of course, we got Carl Weathers as Dylan. Everyone knows Carl Weathers. Creed on Rocky. He's a grief carga in The Mandalorian. He is definitely the best actor in this movie. Maybe, but I like Carl Weathers a lot. Mac, played by Bill Duke, went on to be a director. He went to school at the American Film Institute, 
which is also where John McTiernan went to school. Wow. The last character who they call Poncho, which it, it's confusing because pronounced correctly, the word Poncho would be spelled with an A, P-A-N-C-H-O. Yeah. They like Pancho Villa, right? They spell it with an O, which is something you wear, a poncho. Uh -huh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He is played by Richard Chavez, which is a Hispanic sounding name. But I do not believe this man actually speaks Spanish because his accent is terrible. <laughs> And also, like, he mistranslates everything that the woman says. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> not, not, not terribly, but, you know, he's definitely not translating directly. I don't know. I don't know enough about his background to try and claim him as a false Latino. <laughs> I do know that Elpidia Carrillo was the one actor among this big group of people who ended up in the jungle who didn't get to go on, like, their boot camp treks with them. They went on these long boot camp treks to sort mm -hmm. of train and also get camaraderie with each other so that they could seem like they were uh, a real squad. squad. Right. Yeah. I think, personally, that this movie had a really colorful and fun cast of characters. Like, that was the main yeah. thing that stuck out to me the first time I watched it. I was like, these guys right. are fun. <laughs> like, these are interesting guys. From a screenwriting perspective, you wouldn't think that Predator was usually studied by screenwriters, but it is sometimes just as an example of, like, how to quickly and efficiently establish a group of really good characters. And that's one thing that this is good at, is that it, we don't know much about these people, but they manage to establish them as real characters. Like, they don't just feel like you like dumb teenagers who are going to die, like in a lot of slasher movies. Like, they feel like real characters and real people, even though we know virtually nothing about them. And they do that really well in this movie. Okay, before we get into, like, the story and the theory we're going to talk about today, I just want to mention that we've got links in the uh, description for this episode. If you want to watch the movie and then, you know compare what you think about the movie to our theory, you go for it. Um, I'd encourage you to because it's a good movie. I like it. And also, I, I think our theory is really interesting today. So uh, the story of Predator, you know, if you haven't caught on by now, basically this team of special operatives, they go into the jungle on a mission and they get ambushed and murdered one by one by an extraterrestrial hunter, right? Yes. Originally, this movie was going to be called The Hunter, which, as mm. Shane Black pointed out in the movie The Predator, would have been a much more appropriate name for the Predator and what he does. Because he's very much more of a hunter than he is just a Predator. Yeah. But I think Predator just sounded cooler. And, it does sound cooler. I agree. You know, so I think they made the right choice there. A lot of what we're going to talk about is based on a post on Reddit. Uh, it's from about four years ago. Uh, it was posted by a now-deleted user. And I'll assume since they've deleted their profile, they want to remain anonymous. Their theory is that the whole movie is actually about hyper-masculinity. You have this super macho team of alpha male soldiers, and they're each competing against each other to show off their strengths and superiority and raw power. Throughout the movie, each one of them like keeps trying to one-up each other and you know just dropping like weird comments and mind games to each other and also throughout the movie each one of them has their masculinity put to the test and then dies in a way that mocks their toxic masculinity and failure as a man right so that's uh that's pretty much the gist of the theory and um okay. The Reddit user who originally posted it, he had a lot of really cool ideas about it. I based a lot of this on their theory, but I, I have slightly different interpretations for almost all the characters. One important thing to note is that all of these characters die because of their toxic ma masculinity, except for Dutch. He's the most masculine of all, and he proves that he's even more manly than the Predator. <laughs> he kills it and... It's death mocks it, its failure to be masculine as well. <laughs> Are we arguing that this is a critique of toxic masculinity or is it in support? It's in support of healthy masculinity, right? Like I said, all these characters are constantly like quipping and playing mind games with each other to the point where it seems like maybe they doubt their own manliness because they need to like reinforce it all the time. <laughs> and interestingly enough, this is something that John McTiernan fostered on set, like weird things like how who could smoke more cigars which I'm like, <laughs> right, I don't I don't smoke so I don't really know like how you measure like how much like, it's until you just can't breathe anymore <laughs> until you Sounds get like lung cancer contest. I don't know um, but I also know there's a fun story of uh Jesse Ventura who plays Blaine he heard from the wardrobe department that his arms were bigger 
than Arnold Schwarzenegger's. Oh, oh no. And so he said to Arnold Schwarzenegger, hey, let's measure our arms. And the person with smaller arms has to buy the other one a drink or something like that. Oh, yeah. And then they measured arms. And of course, Arnold Schwarzenegger yeah, was bigger. That guy's arms Arnold are massive. Mr. Olympia like six times <laughs> in a row. <laughs> and then Arnold Schwarzenegger turned out he had told the wardrobe department to lie to Jesse Ventura so Jesse Ventura would make that bet and lose. Crafty little dog. Oh my gosh. That's so good. What a prank. Well, like, how well must you know? How well must you know your co-star to be able to predict him like that? Oh my gosh. Dude, that fits so well with this this theory important point in the movie in the very beginning when Schwarzenegger meets Carl Weathers they have a arm contest right basically yep. to see and whose arm, arm is bigger contest. I like the way you put it <laughs> it's not even arm wrestling arm it's wrestling. just an arm contest <laughs> <laughs> oh man it's a good movie I like Predator another thing John McTiernan talked about the executives wanted lots of shots of guns firing <laughs> like just guns shooting so he made that one scene about uh, halfway through the movie where everyone just starts firing their guns in one yeah. direction for like five completely leveling straight, the forest just leveling <laughs> the jungle in front of them and he said the point of this scene like the whole reason for this scene existing was not only to please the executives but also because there was nobody in front of their guns <laughs> they were shooting right. and the, you know right after they're done one of the guys walks over and he says we hit nothing right so the executives wanted gun porn and he wanted to make a critique of gun porn while also delivering them their gun porn <laughs> well like in his own words he says the whole point was just the impotence of all the guns which was exactly the opposite of what i believed i was being hired to sell <laughs> But yeah, I mean, I think that goes along with this theory that the movie is critiquing masculinity, right? And so McTiernan also said that, like like we kind of already talked about, that this was sort of pitched as um, Alien versus Rambo, what you think of as Rambo, right? Just a bunch yeah. of Rambos walking around in the, in the jungle, which is just funny because like this is the first movie in the Predator franchise, right? And yet yeah. the first movie is already a versus movie, right? Predator versus Rambo. Yeah. It's just weird because like usually you don't start there right? You work up to that, right? Like, like alien, it's just a bunch of random miners, right? And then right. alien aliens is when, oh, alien versus space Marines, you know? Right. So I want to talk about each character. I want to give you evidence and basically cover them death by death and say exactly, you know, what their problem was, uh, why they deserve to die and how their death mocked them. I want to start with Hawkins. Hawkins is the first one to die. He is a bully, in my opinion. He's weak, but wants to appear strong and only picks on people weaker than him. He's scrawny. He wears glasses. He's constantly cracking jokes about <laughs> exclusively about big vaginas. <laughs> I don't yep. know why that's his uh, topic of preference. That's but he thing. thinks large vaginas are hilarious. I mean, I hate to, to jump the gun here, just in case this is your point you're trying to make but is his cardinal sin that he is a big pussy <laughs> pretty much yes he is a big pussy. That's, that's what i'm getting at <laughs> first evidence for this they assault the rebel base <laughs> that sounds awfully star wars but they, they yeah. assault the rebels who are set up in the jungle and during this entire assault it's a big scene like there's the whole team is jumping yeah. around, shooting people, killing people. Like, it's a surprisingly in-depth fight scene for something that literally right. doesn't matter. And, right? Well, but it does matter. I, 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 like, it's a really important scene because it establishes that these guys are amazingly good That's at their true. job. Yes. And, like, nothing is going to kill them. Like, no, they don't You're lose right. a single guy against this armed camp yeah, full of Yeah, it's not even a challenge. Right? <laughs> right? They're not, like, not even a scratch, right? Well, except uh, for... <laughs> Except for Jesse Ventura's Blaine. Right, yeah. We'll get to that. <laughs> like, yeah. Um, but Just like, time, uh, yeah, so that establishes like these guys are amazing. And if anything kills one of them, it is like unbelievably amazing. You know what? You're good right. At killing. And I take everything I said back. This is an important scene for this movie. And even more important is the fact that Hawkins doesn't even kill a single person during the assault. He never even helps the team in any way. After this big assault, they take a prisoner who is a lady named Anna. Anna runs away from the group and Hawkins chases her. We know that this specific predator refuses to attack Anna. 
And it's either because she's a woman or more likely because she's unarmed. But we don't know. We just know it does, he doesn't attack Anna. The only reason we're given is by Schwarzenegger, who says it's because she's unarmed. We also know that Hawkins refused to attack anyone but Anna. So he runs after her. He attacks this unarmed woman instead of all the armed soldiers that they fought. So I believe... Uh, the predator was watching, disgusted at this frail, feeble, wimpy, you know, barely a man who could only choose for his prey an unarmed, fleeing woman. So I think the predator judged his lacking masculinity very harshly. Wait, 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 wait a sec. So your argument is not that thematically this movie is about toxic masculinity, but that within the universe, the predator himself the predator is, is judging their masculinity is is, is punishing people. For yes. their, so, but what is it for their over the top toxic masculinity or like their lack of? It's okay. I'll I'll explain it this way. It's more like the predators are like the penultimate masculine race, and what he's doing is giving these masculine soldiers a trial by masculinity, and if they don't measure up, they die. And the Reddit user notes that previously seen skinned soldiers in this movie were all castrated. Like they did not have genitalia, which is true. They didn't. Could have something to do with like the art department and it how could, they had to yeah. build these skin suits and stuff. But yeah, definitely. But in universe, it means that this predator is skinning them and chopping off their genitals. Okay. I just want to say that right after Hawkins dies, they have the cliche let's split up moment that all oh, yeah. slashers have. But uh -huh. I like it here because we've seen what they're capable of, right? And we haven't seen much of the Predators. So like, this is the one instance where the let's split up moment doesn't seem stupid no, to them, No, it feels like right? they're about to gang up on like, this thing. Right? Every single one of these guys can take anything that comes at them, right? Yeah. <laughs> and so there's no reason not to split up to search for Hawkins. Anyway. So the next one to die is Blaine. Now, Blaine, in my opinion, his, his problem is that he's a showboat, right? Like, he tries to be bigger and better and badder than he actually is. He needs acknowledgement. Unlike Dutch, who is just as big, just as strong, or bigger and stronger, but he wears his masculinity comfortably, you know, like with dignity, right? Like, Dutch is right. not showing off how big he is. Blaine okay. needs to flaunt it. He needs to push it on you, right? Right. He's over-masculine. At the beginning in the helicopter, he's offering all the team members chewing tobacco, right? And when they all reject him, he calls them a bunch of homophobic and racist slurs and then says, <laughs> this stuff will make you into a... <laughs> he says, this stuff will make you into a sexual tyrannosaurus like me. <laughs> Which, I just love that line. Like what, what about, <laughs> why would you want to be a sexual Tyrannosaurus? What about a Tyrannosaurus is sexual? <laughs> you want to have tiny yeah. arms and no thumbs? <laughs> and, and to who? Like, like what person has ever been like, man, I wish my, my man was a sexual Tyrannosaurus. <laughs> sexual Dinosaur. <laughs> Oh, man. Uh, he has a gigantic minigun that he calls Painless, and he shows it off as often as possible. And, you know, like he named it, and he loves to use it. And like right. he said, during the attack on the rebels, uh, he clearly gets hurt. He's bleeding, and Poncha says, you're hit, you're bleeding. To which he responds, <laughs> I ain't got time to bleed. <laughs> and then the best line in the movie. <laughs> Great line. Oh, Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I love that line. The correct response to someone who's very wounded saying, I ain't got time to bleed. It's like, oh, all right. All right. <laughs> I accept that. <laughs> well, no, this is, this is key in his toxic masculinity is that he is wounded, but he can't acknowledge it, even though everyone mm -hmm. else does. <laughs> right? Yeah. Like, he's not fooling anyone. He's bleeding, but his toxic mm -hmm. masculinity won't allow him to say it. He can't cover up his weakness here. There's no right. way. Later on in the movie, the predator kills him with a plasma bolt through his body, after which Dylan examines his corpse and says, the wound is all fused, cauterized. What the hell yeah. did this? He didn't bleed. He's been cauterized. He's not <laughs> bleeding. There's no he ain't blood. Got time to the bleed. predator is mocking him. <laughs> you didn't have time to bleed, but you had time to die. <laughs> exactly. So that's Blaine. <laughs> Blaine's out of there. Next guy, the next death in this movie is Mac. Now, Mac, is, he's a cool character. I like Mac a lot. Um, he's very interesting. And yeah. he is also, from what I believe this movie is trying to show, he is a coward. 
the Predator hated Mac. It was constantly watching him and listening to him and replaying his voice over and over. Like the Predator really had its eye on Mac. After the assault on the rebels, Mac, he was playing some sort of power game with Dylan where he like right. called Dylan I, over. I was a little confused as to why Mac just seems to hate Dylan so yeah, much. Yeah, he hates Dylan. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think it's kind of like Dylan's like the, he's the, he's the upper brass. Like he thinks he's in charge. Maybe Mac, maybe Mac has a thing with authority. I don't know. What I know for sure is that he was playing head games with Dylan. He says, hey, come here. <laughs> or he says, over here. And the Predator records that, right? Mac doesn't tell Dylan what's up. He doesn't say, hey, Dylan, there's a scorpion on your back. Let me get it off. He just says, turn around. And then pulls out a giant knife and sticks it into Dylan's back <laughs> to get the scorpion. And then Dylan like turns around like, why are you trying to murder me? And he's like, the scorpion, I was just helping you, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then Dylan, he's like, thanks. And he, Matt goes, anytime. <laughs> like, I'm always ready to stick a knife in your back unexpectedly. <laughs> mm-hmm. They make it very clear that the Predator watched this exchange with Dylan. I think he judged him right here. He interpreted through his actions that Mac is underhanded, cowardly, and weak. He saw Mac playing this power game about putting a knife in somebody's back. That's not the way a manly, honorable soldier kills somebody, right? Yeah, I mean, he definitely seems manipulative, and he he tries really hard to intimidate people. I think he's also a little nuts. (laughs) He's talking. Yeah, well, he did. The guy is. Yeah, the guy's freaking crazy. So, but what do you make of? I'm sure we're going to get to this. What do you make of the scorpion? I thought he might have had the scorpion on the knife already and just put it, (laughs) (laughs) like picked up the knife and put it to his back. But the scorpion has to be important, I feel. And I just couldn't figure out why, because they have a shot of the predator going and picking up the scorpion and looking at it. Like, why does the predator do that? When, if you listen to John McTiernan talk about this movie, those infrared shots were really expensive and hard to do. So why did they waste one on an infrared shot of the predator going and picking up and looking at a scorpion in its hand? The Predator is clearly obsessed with this interaction and this guy. Like, he hates Mac. Like, he just wanted to come and see the aftermath of it because he's like, how could you do such a cowardly thing to your fellow soldier, right? Like, I think he sees this as dishonorable and disgusting. And he's like, oh, you were getting a a scorpion off of him? Like, I I think he just doesn't like it. So the Predator is an armored creature with, like, built-in weapons Mm -hmm. uh it's got knives it's got guns things built directly into its armor he's a scorpion right it's kind of like a scorpion right they're armored creatures with built-in weapons it's like the end of men in black when he's stomping on the cockroaches (laughs) kind of but i i think that it's like to another insect a scorpion is extremely intimidating like it is would be scary like another insect can't beat a scorpion it's gonna grab you poison you and eat you right and i feel like This is sort of the predator, its way of testing the humans because the predator won't kill unarmed people. It wants to kill things that are, in a way, scorpion-like, the things that have weapons that, 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 that seem dangerous. But also, by comparison... The predator is a human squishing bugs, right? Because yeah. it's its weapons are so advanced that it doesn't matter, right? That these humans have weapons, and so I I, I felt like that was that was like they were trying to draw a comparison there. That like he's trying to be all tough and intimidating, and then he just squishes this creature that is dangerous to some, but not to him. And the predator is showing, like you humans may be dangerous to some, but not to me. Not to me. Right. (laughs) That could be, sure. I mean, this is all a masculinity test for the predator as well. So he's playing just as many power games as they are. So I, I could see that. Later, the predator kills Blaine and Mac sees the invisible predator He looks him in his glowing eyes. And this is important. Mac is really the only one who sees the Predator for like almost the entire movie. And then in just utter terror, he screams, Sergeant! And opens fire and shoots all his bullets and then picks up the minigun, painless, and shoots all its bullets and keeps (laughs) shooting like 20 or 30 seconds after it's empty. Like he's scared out of his mind. And I mean, rightfully so, but also... The Predator looks him in the eyes and knows it. You are afraid and you are not manly is what the Predator is thinking, right? Yeah. Predator gets back at him that night 
by throwing a big fat pig at him because he doesn't like Mac and he wanted to throw a gross, disgusting, defenseless animal at him like this is you. And later in the movie, when he's pursuing the predator with Dylan, Mac's hiding in the bushes. He pulls Dylan in and he says, up there in the trees, I see you. And he points out the camouflage predator. Predator's just sitting there in the trees, staring at Mac. He knows Mac's there. Mac knows it's there. It's testing him, right? Like, this is like a who's going to blink first moment. Like, they concoct a cowardly plan for Dylan to go around and draw the predator out so that Mac can shoot it in the back, just like Mm -hmm. he was going to stab Dylan in the back. Mm -hmm. As Mac is crawling through the underbrush to do this plan, he then sees the predator's laser on his arm. It's got a clear shot. It could have killed him, but it doesn't. It waits for him to completely turn and look it in the eyes before it kills him face to face. It's not going to shoot him in the back. Yeah, I, I, I agree with you. Do you have any thoughts on the razor blade that he's no, chasing? No, I, I wish I did. I, I think that's a cool quirk. I wish I had something <laughs> to say about it. I feel like it has to mean something because... On a shoot where they were in the middle of the jungle, they were trying to do lots and lots of things to reduce their budget. Like I, like I, uh, I had talked about the expense of the infrared shots from the Predator's mm-hmm. point of view. John McTiernan says that those shots were really, really expensive because the ambient temperature in where <laughs> was, they were shooting in Mexico was the same was as the so humans. So, every, yeah. so they were all invisible to the Predator, right? Not so vice versa. They, they <laughs> doused the jungle in ice water and so, put the people by a fire. <laughs> it's just insane. Like, this would take forever. And John McTiernan says, like, this was so expensive. Yeah. And it would take, like, no, three hours to get off one and, shot. Yeah. <laughs> so in a time when... They are over budget. They bothered to make a razor blade, like a prop that squirts out blood on his face to make it look like he is cutting himself, right? right. And if you actually watch when he takes it away, he has no cut. He's just got some blood on his face because it was squirted from the, their prop, right? Yes. <laughs> well, like, why take the time to make that unless it means something? It has to mean something for his character. If it was important enough that they had it in the script and they kept it in the movie. Mr. McTiernan, he said that that shot was uh, Max Actor's idea. That was Duke's idea. He said, yeah, Duke was really into it. He was like, hey, can I make this uh, shaving thing? Can I make that like my guy's thing? And maybe I push the blade into my skin and it breaks. I mean, it's a good character quirk. Oh, yeah. I think it shows, like you've been saying, his cardinal sin is fear and perhaps more specifically overcompensating for his fear with like intimidation. And so I kind of think at the beginning when he is shaving his face, it seems like he's really trying to intimidate someone, even though it's a dinky little like yeah, disposable it's like razor. A razor. <laughs> it's not <laughs> like know. he's using a straight yeah, razor. That would be freaking intimidating <laughs> if he had a straight razor. But no, <laughs> he's got like a little disposable. A plastic razor, yes. <laughs> he's trying to be intimidating with his dumb razor thing at the beginning. And then finally at the end, when he's about, you know, he's getting more and more scared, his his fear his is coming breaks. through. <laughs> his right. razor breaks. <laughs> yeah, his thing breaks, his intimidation cover, his, his facade breaks at the same time as his razor. Um, and so I think yeah, that's, that's cool. possibly yeah, think that what that rep- represents. And also like with the eye contact thing, uh, like he makes eye contact with the predator and that's a, an intimidation yeah. tactic is staring someone down. I just want to say that that moment where they shoot for five minutes, <laughs> yeah, uh, which is a great moment. Uh, great. Like It's a good scene. So that moment really did feel to me like when we fought the predator in Wildlands. <laughs> oh yeah. Because <laughs> that's all you did. You're just constantly shooting just everywhere. Shooting. Yep. That predator could be everywhere. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and like bringing in like how we recruited all the rebels and all everyone we could get to bring in just to have more people for the predator to kill. Just to yeah. distract him. So I really like that moment because like, I was like, dude, that's exactly how it feels to fight the predator. <laughs> like, it I is. don't know where he is. I'm just going to shoot. <laughs> Another thing to mention about Mac's death, which kind of corresponds with that moment. When we talk about the Predator, what are his iconic things? Like, what does this slasher do? He, he hunts people down. He has yeah. his arm cannon. He takes trophies. He has his Wolverine blades. He takes trophies. And another iconic thing that I think most people would recognize the Predator for is he records his victims and plays their sounds as, like, a lure. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. He doesn't do it in this movie. Yeah, not... <laughs> like, the one really? time he actually did that, or and it's debatable if he actually did that, but 
after Mac dies, Dylan sees his dead body and then he hears anytime, which is what Mac said to him after killing the scorpion. But it's kind of like in the background, you can barely yeah. make it out. It's definitely there. So <laughs> I just thought it was really weird that in this movie, even the first time I watched it, I knew that the predator is supposed to record them and then use their voices as lures. He doesn't do it. Right. <laughs> like, when did that start? Well, is that in Predator 2? <laughs> so I guess this is a just a really small bit of trivia that, that's easy to miss. When Billy is walking alone and he's like, there's something in the trees. I guess right before that, it's really hard to hear but the thing that tips him off, there is something in the trees, isn't he doesn't see anything. He hears, you can hear really quietly the sound of Billy laughing from Hawkins' joke. Um, and the Whoa. predator plays it back. <laughs> so why? I don't know. <laughs> but like the predators, I think generally in the movies don't understand human speech. They just they record things that we say and then just yeah. use them, hoping that it'll but lure people he, in. He definitely understood when Max says over here. And then Dylan walks over to him. He definitely understood that because he played it back like three times and he watched it. Yeah. <laughs> right. Like he understood that this animal said this noise and this animal approached it. Yeah. And then he never so used I thought it. He was going to use that one, but he never used it. <laughs> like it seemed like he was doing it when Mac is hunting the predator yeah. and Dylan's kind of mm-hmm. trying to find Mac great and Mac out. hears, or Dylan it's hears, like, over here. You I was think just, it's the predator doing it, but it's actually, it's actually Mac. Yeah, I was just like, <laughs> when I was watching that part, I was, I was like, that was a great fake out, except it's only a fake out because I've seen if the other movies. The lore, right? Yeah, coming into yeah. this, it wouldn't even be a fake out at all. <laughs> so yeah, Mac, he was a coward. That's why he died. Next person to die in this film is Dylan. Dylan's thing, in my opinion, is that he has no integrity. He is a pushover, basically. Yeah, I can I can agree with that. <laughs> Dylan's Dutch's old friend. They used to, you know, be in the in special ops together. Dylan used to go out on missions, and he wants to prove to the world that he hasn't gone soft from all the paperwork he's been doing lately. Right? He's all about his image of right. strength. And he's got to prove standing, you know, like I am the soldier, I am the guy. And then he tries to prove his strength by having an arm match with Dutch <laughs> and uh, they clutch their right hands together and pull or something. And whatever they're doing, Dylan loses handily. Like, <laughs> like Dutch isn't even trying. <laughs> he's smiling and talking to Dylan as Dylan loses and surrenders. And it shows this personality that if someone is stronger, he bends. Yeah. Now you can see that Dutch, he respects Dylan and Dutch believes him when Dylan says that they're going out to rescue somebody. But it turns out that Dylan's lying about everything, about the whole mission. He, and he knows what's going on behind the scenes. He knows they're there to just assassinate some rebels and he knows it's wrong. And he knows that Dutch would never go along with it. Mm-hmm. But he has orders from his higher ups and he buckled. He only cares right. <laughs> how he looks superficially but not enough to actually take a stand. So when Dylan faces off against the Predator, his inadequacies come to a head. He raises his gun in his right arm, and this is the easiest manliness comparison to spot. The same arm that couldn't stand up to the stronger, manlier Dutch, and it's completely unable to stand up to the Predator as well. It gets immediately cut off. He can't stand up against the Predator, just like he can't stand up against his superiors, just like he can't stand up against Dutch. He surrenders and is killed unceremoniously. So first he's got his orders. Then once everyone finds out that he betrayed them, he feels like he has to redeem himself. But really all he's still trying to do is prove himself to Dutch. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So does he feel weaker than Mac? Because he goes along with Mac's plan. And I think, yes. Is it because Mac has been intimidating him? Intimidating him? (laughs) No, and I I actually did take that to be the case. Like, as soon as he goes with Mac to take on the Predator, he's subservient. Like, he does whatever Mac says. He doesn't debate it. And I think it's because Mac played the power games with him and beat him. Now, but because Dylan, I think, was one of the best characters because he was played by one of the best actors. Yeah, Dylan's um, great. I mean, I I like him a lot. (laughs) I was a little disappointed that he didn't do anything. Like I thought Dylan should have at least been the one who like shoots the thing that disables the predator's camouflage. You know, I completely agree. And this was one of the things that rubbed me the wrong way. The first time I watched predator, I remember thinking, 
oh, whoa, it's Carl Weathers. I love this guy. He's great. He's Apollo Creed, right? Like, I really was happy to see him. And then he kind of just bends over and dies. <laughs> I was right. like, oh. And just like from a perspective of how you set things up and pay them off in a movie, if a guy goes out on a quest for redemption, which is presumably what Carl Weathers is doing here, it's totally cool <laughs> he if he die. dies. But he needs to do something that helps everyone else. And he doesn't get to do that. So while it does, in a way, weaken the story, I think, like I was disappointed, it strengthens the theory. Well, because once again, it's all superficial. Like he would have loved to have proved himself, but just for the image. That's Dylan's problem. Poor Dylan. Now we're going to talk about Billy, your favorite character. Oh, I love Billy. Billy's sin is the sin of pride. Now... Billy is one of the few people on the team who openly acknowledges his fear. Mm -hmm. At one point, Billy even says, he says, I'm scared, Poncho. And Poncho says, you ain't afraid of no man. And Billy says, there's something out there waiting for us. And it ain't no man. So Billy says he's scared, unlike everyone else on the team. He's superstitious. He's careful. He's listening to his surroundings. He's willing to stop and make absolute certain that the path is safe before continuing, right? He is Mm -hmm. by far the most cautious member of the team. Yeah. And yet, unlike Dutch, who uses his caution to protect himself, like fleeing when necessary, camouflaging himself, unlike Dutch, Billy allows his fear and caution to control him. And he gives in to the toxic definition of a man and decides to face the alien head on in the end. In Billy's last stand, he stops on the log bridge and he allows Mm -hmm. the team to go ahead. He strips off his shirt throws down his guns, takes out a knife, and carves a bloody gash in his chest. I interpret this to be that he believes he is facing his fear. But in actuality, he's giving in to his fear of being a wimp and not a man, right? Like, he won't run anymore because he wants to show his masculinity. And that's why he dies. Because he needs to appear brave instead of actually, you know, fighting this thing and using everything to his advantage that he has, like Dutch does. Yeah. And in my opinion, Billy was the least deserving to die. Billy was great. There are much more intelligent ways he could have gone about it than what he did. Right. What he did was very stupid. And he certainly seemed intelligent before that point. (laughs) Yes. Him, like, carving his chest open like that really shows what it's all about, right? Like... This isn't necessarily about saving his friends. That's part of it. But it's really about his pride. Like, he needs to be the guy who stood up to this thing. And it's too bad Billy died off camera. I thought he deserved better than that. Right. Yeah, he should have had a showdown, but whatever. Well, I think it's, it's, uh, it's because of his pride, right? Like, he wanted to be the guy who went one-on-one with this alien, and we don't even get to see it, right? Like, right. that's, that's yeah. his reward for yeah, his Yeah, he's stupidity. the ultimate badass, but that was his sin, So Mm -hmm. we don't get to see his ultimate badass moment. (laughs) Exactly. Okay. We've almost made it through. We got one more death in this movie, and that is Poncho. Poncho or Poncho. (laughs) Poncho. I'll just call him Poncho because that's what they call the movie. Poncho is a control freak. His weapon of choice is a grenade launcher, an excessive use of force and control, (laughs) sending his enemies flying powerlessly to their deaths. Many times they show him fire off a grenade and then they show like two guys fly away and die with no control. Poncho doesn't say much, but his toxic masculinity boils to the surface in one situation when Anna escapes just momentarily from Dylan. Just for half a second, she starts to run away, and then Poncho appears above them, pointing the barrel of his grenade launcher in her face. And he says, maybe you better put her on a leash, agent man. (laughs) Yeah. So he is a controlling, misogynistic, toxically masculine man who is implying that you big, strong agent man should control this woman, and a leash would suffice if you can't do it, right? Like, I mean. Well, also, I would say that, like, one of the hallmarks of toxic masculinity is mansplaining, right? Where Mm -hmm. you take what a woman says and then you reinterpret it in your own words. You know, or or you're talking to a woman and explain to them something that they already know probably better than you, you know, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and as the translator, that's kind of what he's yeah, always right. doing. 
<laughs> is that everything she says has to go through his filter, right? Uh -huh. uh, which, you know, in society even, you could take it even bigger. Like that's kind of how it's often been in society. Everything women think has to go through the filter of a man before it's ever heard. Yeah, um, you're right. And his filter is wrong. Mm -hmm. She says, <laughs> la selva le llevó. And he's like, uh, she says the, the jungle just, just came alive and it took him. Which is not what she said. She says, the jungle took him. She does not say it came alive. That is an embellishment. And he says that several times, even though she never yeah. says it came alive. Like, uh -huh. th that's just false. It, the jungle didn't come alive. And she's not even saying that it did. And she was the only one who saw it. So he has no right to embellish it and, and say... No, he needs to. He's the man. <laughs> you know? He's got to control this. Like, <laughs> he's got to insert himself into that situation. Like you said, he's the filter that her words run through. That's pretty good. In my opinion, he meets the most pitiful end in the whole movie. He completely loses all control when he gets hit by their own log trap. <laughs> yeah, breaks all his ribs. <laughs> and this time he's the one who gets sent flying, powerless, ends up broken, crumpled in a pile, like he's had broken ribs and everything. When Blaine says, ain't got time to bleed, Poncho says, oh yeah, you got time to duck? He's kind of eating his words here because Poncho... You should have ducked, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. He's, he's useless. He's a burden. And at this point, Billy implies that they may need to leave Poncho. And in the end, Anna, the woman he derided, she becomes his one savior, and he needs her help to even attempt to move to safety. Mm -hmm. So immediately after Billy dies, Dutch, who is holding Poncho, they turn around and they both aim their guns in the direction the scream came from. Now, at this point, Dutch, he is aiming forward, just trying to spot danger. Poncho is freaked out. He's nervous. He's shaking like crazy. His control has completely faded away and disappeared. And it's at this point that the predator shoots, not Dutch, but Poncho, who then dies in Dutch's arms. So within universe, though, like we know the predators don't usually kill people who are unarmed. They don't kill people who are sick. The predators kill people who are willing to fight. Well, in Alien vs. Predator, they do avoid killing a man because he's sick. Oh, yeah, you're right. They do. But, but they then, do but kill him once he tries them. to fight them. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, so there you go. <laughs> well, yeah. I was going to say that I think what this is, is the predator kind of showing its whole manliness. Man got to go out and hunt. And there's kind of this cliche about like, you got to force a kid, like a poor little kid to like, kill the thing they injured, you know? Um, yeah. <laughs> I think that's sort of the predator's manliness thing right here is that he injured it. So now he's got to kill it. And so that's why he's not a, didn't even injure Dutch. him. He injured himself. <laughs> right. But it, it was because of the predator's attack that he got injured. Yeah, it's true. It's true. It's true. And now we can actually talk about the predator's toxic masculinity because we've gotten through all the deaths. I mean, and the only one predator, is it not the embodiment of toxic masculinity, yes, right? It like is. it's a hunter. It <laughs> no, that's the whole thing. It is the embodiment of toxic masculinity. And in the end, the predator's death, its downfall, is its own overconfidence in believing that it is the epitome of the perfect man-hunter. Predator's design is amazing. He's menacing. He's huge. He's lethal. He wears fishnet stockings. He wears fishnet stockings. He wears fishnet chest, <laughs> like, <laughs> chest coverings. Um, he's strong. He's fast. He's brave. And he knows his limits. Several times, the Predator actually regroups, tries again. It's not making the same mistakes as Dutch's team was making. He refuses to put unfounded faith in his high-tech gear. When he realizes that Dutch can hide from his infrared, takes his helmet off. Although he still seems to have very odd vision. Yeah, he's got odd vision, but what are you going to do? <laughs> Maybe he's not used to seeing on Earth. He refuses to fight Dutch or anyone on unequal ground. He will only attack armed fighting soldiers. He will not attack fleeing unarmed people. Right. And when the predator during a fight finds Dutch unarmed, but still willing to fight, he does the manly thing and throws away his cannon and guns and then fights Dutch with his fists and blades. Mm -hmm. The predator is masculine, but Dutch is more masculine. <laughs> from the Predator's point of view, for the whole fight, sometimes you see from the Predator's point of view, and he sees Dutch as this whimpering, sniveling, high-pitched little baby man that he's throwing around and bashing him around. He's lifting Dutch effortlessly up, right? The Predator's toxic masculinity leads it to underestimate Dutch's manliness. 
Mm-hmm. Now, Dutch never underestimates anything in the whole movie. He's calm. He's cool. He's careful and cautious. That's <laughs> a lot of C's. <laughs> oh. his, his careful approach leads him to victory. His precautions lead him to use everything at his disposal. Mud as camouflage, weapons, traps, running away, hiding, regrouping, going down a waterfall. He uses everything he can to kill this thing, and he never underestimates it. And in the end, he leads it into a trap. The predator senses the trap, goes around, and at this point, it believes that it has bested Dutch. And it never occurred to this alpha alien that the puny little baby human could actually kill it. And then he does. Right. Dutch had set another trap on the side, which the alien never even imagined, smashes the predator, and in realization of his own toxic masculinity, the predator laughs and laughs to hide his shame and sets off an atomic bomb. <laughs> right. So. so, well, let's talk a little more about the predator as the epitome, the, the embodiment of a toxic masculinity. So, like, I would say that, like, there's nothing wrong with hunting as a survival tool, right? Yeah. You know, you got to live. And sometimes to live, you got to eat. And to eat, you, you got to hunt. But like the predators don't hunt to eat. They hunt as... As a trial of masculinity, basically. Right, yeah, as a coming of age test, yeah. right? Like, and That's all of them do. have to do it. And I've heard it said that the the predator in the original predator is like a young predator. Like yeah, he's not he's, he's super doing proven proving, yet. Proving yeah. thing, yeah. But then they take trophies, right? The yes. only reason to have a trophy is just to like... To prove your flaunt. manliness. <laughs> right. You're better than the thing, right? And then they they mark themselves with the blood of their enemy, that kind of thing. Which really hurts when you killed an, a, a xenomorph. <laughs> I know. <laughs> but they're manly enough. They, they don't do care it. about acid blood. <laughs> no, nope. That's what you do. If you, if you don't do if it, they you're can not a man. So do drip it. drip <laughs> through like seven floors of a ship, but <laughs> mm-hmm. not through their skulls, luckily. Um, <laughs> they're hard-headed. So what does it mean when it self-destructs at the end? I think it's just how your own toxic masculinity will self-destruct your life. <laughs> I don't right. know. <laughs> I'm not sure. Well, no, I, I mean, mean, I think that's what it is. I mean, like, because the idea of toxic masculinity is like men who might have psychological issues and problems, but they can never see it, right, within yeah. themselves. And right oh, up until the, the predator. End is is invisible for most of this movie they can't see the problem the the, uh, the the embodiment of their toxic masculinity is invisible to them right mm-hmm. and then if if the problem is invisible to you you don't see it you don't get like psychiatric help or whatever or you don't change things within society because you think it's all good eventually society or yourself will self-destruct you're right um, he self-destructs <laughs> i don't know that's pretty good but, no i like it i can get down with it a toxically masculine alien that comes to Earth to judge the toxic masculinity of overcompetent masculine men and then gets <laughs> judged himself <laughs> by the most masculine man who is Arnold Schwarzenegger. <laughs> Generally, one wouldn't think of Arnold Schwarzenegger as the poster boy for the antithesis of yeah. toxic masculinity. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> He's the face of Gold's Gym, right? And their whole thing is, come as you are. Well, we want you here. You can be big, <laughs> yeah. small, whatever. Just get in here. We're your family, right? So, I mean, that's that's something he likes. You're right. He He's not doing any of the things that the other people do. He's not afraid, but he's not overconfident. And even when he has that dumb arm contest, um, <laughs> he... He thinks it's he talk, fun. Like, right. Well, like he talks through it, right? Like it's to him, it's as though it's not even happening. He's not doing it to necessarily show off, right? It's just how you say yeah. hello and I'm right. just having a conversation with you. And right. I won. He's not cause... doing it to humiliate. Um, <laughs> he's not doing it to humiliate Dylan. He's just doing it because he likes Dylan. His good masculinity is perhaps epitomized in the most famous line from this movie. And Arnold Schwarzenegger says, among all his catchphrases, it is his favorite catchphrase. Get is, to the get chopper. To the chopper. <laughs> oh, you got it. <laughs> I mean, like, just think about that. Like, he's got, I'll be back. Stick he's around. Got, yeah, stick around. He's got movie. lots of catchphrases. He's yeah. got one-liners constantly in all his movies. And his favorite is get to the Ice chopper. to meet you. <laughs> he's not showboating. He's not trying to say he's better than no, Anna, his, but his he is concerned is, about her. It's save the, yourself. <laughs> right. She's not even one of his men. And right. yet he's like, you get to but, the chopper. I'll yeah, take care of the predator. He can do something to protect her. So he will do something to protect her. And it's not because he's 
better. It's just because he is, you know, the the best manly man who takes right. responsibility and does what <laughs> he can. Unlike Poncho, who is like, get me to the chopper. <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh, oh, Poncho. Well, another supporting evidence that perhaps, you know, the filmmakers, John McTiernan, even Schwarzenegger himself, knew what this movie was about, knew that it was about toxic masculinity, is Arnold Schwarzenegger recommended Jesse Ventura for Blaine after he interviewed him for the role, which is interesting that Schwarzenegger was doing interviews. Yeah. <laughs> not the director. That's weird. <laughs> uh, he said that he thought that Jesse Ventura looked the part because he was big enough and had a deep voice that was manly. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> he does have a deep voice that is manly. All right, that's enough of that. How many times do you think we say man in this podcast? A lot. <laughs> <laughs> No, something I thought was interesting about this movie is it's got great characters, but not much really happens in the movie itself. They go and raid this rebel base, mm-hmm. and then they just kind of are walking through the jungle the rest of the movie. Yep. Like, there's not really any other plot events. Like, usually it'd be like, oh, now we need to do the thing and get them a jigger and <laughs> put it in the place, right? Huh. Like, they're not yeah, doing kinda things. Yeah, kind of like uh, they're just the Predator wandering. from 2018. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that one. Had that was a lot all of about the doing the thing and, and getting the majigger. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're right. I just thought it was interesting that they could use this movie with so little plot as a vehicle for something that's actually really fun and cool, right? Like, I guess uh, you don't really need that much plot to make a good slasher. <laughs> I don't know if that's a compliment, but. <laughs> Another cool thing about the production of this movie was um, I guess the director, John McTiernan, he wanted the predator for the shots in the trees. He wanted it to be an actual monkey just to give it kind of that <laughs> otherworldly oh. and like, you know, dynamic feel. So they, they got a monkey <laughs> and they made like a red suit for the monkey so they could like catch it and, you know, cut it out and put it over, overlay it on right. the, on the jungle. Red right? is the most con it contrasts the most with green, which was yes. what their background was. Right. So they made it a red suit and then it wouldn't swing around because it didn't like the red suit. And he said it was embarrassed. embarrassed. (laughs) I mean, I think maybe it just was like, well, it's this weird suit on me. I've never worn a suit before. When you put something on a cat and it just stops moving because it's like, what is that? I don't want to move. What did you think about the theory? Do you buy it? Yeah, I think I do. Uh, Well, I mean, everything fits. Everything fits really well. Yeah. The one thing that's hard to swallow is just like, did they re- did they intend this? Did John McTiernan, did the writers, is this what everyone intended? But, you know, I think there's enough evidence to make that argument that that, that it is, is what they intended. And yeah. I think that it elevates the movie in a way, instead of just being like this fun little alien movie, Alien versus Commando, which is a fun idea and a fun movie, it creates you know, some bigger, greater idea for the whole thing, which yeah, it gives uh, it a it deeper more meaning. Fun. Yeah. Uh, if you liked it, feel free to, you know, go get the movie, watch the movie, compare what we said. Uh, we've got links in the description. So let us know if you agree or not. This has been the popcorn isn't real. Thanks so much for listening. And if you like our podcast, uh, be sure to like subscribe on wherever you get your podcasts. We will see you next time. See you later. Opening music for this episode was provided by Christine. And remember, the popcorn isn't real.